Thank you both. 910. Well, Alexis Coe was on with us uh, on President's Day, and we didn't have enough time. Our, uh, she's a presidential historian, New York Times bestselling author of You Never Forget Your First, now out in paperback. Uh, good morning, Alexis Coe. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me back on. That You Never Forget Your First, of course, is a book about... George Washington. That's right. Uh, so we're going to talk this hour with Alexis about the presidents, how they rank. Uh, I'd like your input as well, asking the audience here at 504-260-1870 if you have a particular president, if you'd like to know failures, how, how they're remembered, um, et cetera. And Alexis, I guess the first thing I'll start with is Jimmy Carter. Do we know how he's doing? Jimmy Carter, we do not, though I awake to a flurry of texts every morning, and I go to sleep to a flurry of texts every night with producers asking me if I'm ready, and this is a moment, even in, you know, he takes this, yes, if I'm ready, because, you know, for commentary, and and people want... um, Oh, the death watch, I get it, I understand now, okay, yeah. The death watch, we're sort of um, sitting vigil, Um, and so it, it, it is an interesting time to see everyone have these takes as we wait. So you will be available to us, of course. If No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, um, at the top of the list. So actually we would have how many living presidents to attend the funeral? We, we would have President Trump. Go ahead. There's an ex-president's club, right? Yeah. And they consist of, uh, well, Donald Trump, if he, if he goes. You know, he's not a big part of this club. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the Clintons, you know, Bill Clinton, and of course Hillary Clinton will attend as well, former Secretary of State and presidential candidate, winner of the popular vote. Um, then we will have uh, the Bushes and the Obamas. It is interesting about President Trump, former President Trump, if he would... Um, you you would think he would. Has there been a situation since he was the president where all of the the, the ex presidents club got the oh George oh, Bush yeah. Senior right his funeral I guess and the president Trump did not go to that or did he right no he did not I mean the last time I can really think of an ex president photo that includes Jimmy Carter, which is interesting, was after the historic election of Barack Obama and um, George H.W. Bush invited the former president to the Oval Office for a photo. And Jimmy Carter is off on the end, and he's he's a little bit, he's, he's farther than the others are from each other, and he looks like the odd man out. Um, and of course, we see lots of friendly relationships between the presidents. You know, we all we all sort of look perplexed and excited when we see pictures of H.W. and uh, I'm sorry, of W. and and Michelle Obama. You know, cuddling. <laughs> but but it's nice to see. So I, I'm not sure. I don't know if he'll attend. You know, he famously did not attend the inauguration, which has only really happened. Uh, you know, in the past from uh, both Adams, John Adams and Quincy Adams, didn't attend the inauguration um, after they lost their one-term presidencies. It does seem, uh, to me, I like it because it shows unity. It shows that, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're still, that, that A, of the humanity of the presidents, and B, that we're all just people, and C, that, you know, it's about ideas. It's not personal. It's one person's not out to destroy the country, nor is the other. They just have different ideas on how, the, at least that's the way I see it, on how the country yeah. should be run. Everybody has their right to their opinion and their idea, and that's that's why we vote. And, and you can't, 
just start trying to make the other one fail. You got to work with them because your voice needs to be heard, and everybody else has a right to have their voice heard as well. But I get off of my, I get off of my uh, soapbox now. No, I think you're right. I think that's really interesting, and I think um, this is something actually, and you pointed out, and in, in something we might not associate as being a shared quality between Trump and Carter, which is that they're both really vocal critics um, in in retirement, which is sort of, it's it's like the, the first rule of Fight Club is, you know, you don't talk about Fight Club, mm-hmm. and the first rule of being an ex-president is you don't talk about the other president. Um, let's talk about your book about George Washington. He really did set the standard, did he not? And how fortunate were we as a country to have him as the first president? I, I like to say, you know, as, uh, as a caveat, that obviously we're holding two things at once here, which is we're talking about the president, the man, the general, and we're also talking about the enslaver. But we're focusing here on the precedents that he set in office. And on that front, we are um, fortunate, which the founders knew and the framers. They didn't agree with him on many things, most things. And that's why, you know, they weren't speaking to each other by the end. But they knew that this was a man who could be trusted with the presidency, and that's because he had given up power after the revolution. That didn't happen at the time. In the 18th century, the world was ruled by dictators and queens, kings, um, and and you just did not have someone who said, okay, I'm good. I've accomplished what I needed to do. And I think that that informs so much of his presidency. He was comfortable with power, and he had the ability to be satisfied. And though, if that sounds vague, it's because that's sort of what we expected of him going in, we being the collective royal we, if we will. The framers hadn't figured out a whole lot about the presidency. They just sort of marked, I don't know, president, and then they figured – They were looking at the president, Washington, who was presiding over the Constitutional Convention, and he would figure it out, and he did. And I can't really say that I would trust many other people with that. Um, Somebody texted in, could you ask Alexis about Washington and the Roman, uh, what is this, Roman uh, Cincinnatus? Oh, yes. Okay, so so something that is not when people think about washington they think of him as the great military leader and the president but they don't think they really they don't think of him in terms of jefferson who was of course a great innovator a great writer madison these people who had sort of um you know sensibilities that were um of an artistic or say creative nature and and then of course looking back at history when washington first got rich, shall we say, when he was in his 20s and he he was starting to make a little bit of money, not quite as much as he would make soon when he married Martha Washington, Martha Custis, who would become Martha Washington. But when he got a little bit of money, he he started to decorate and he ordered busts of, uh, you know, famous emperors and famous military leaders and he also, you know, looked towards them for um, for what I just described. The text was accurate. It was apt. It was that Cincinnati, um, you know, was a model for Washington as far as giving up power. He also loved uh, the plays of Cato, and I really think a lot about how in, in a Cato play, you know, someone sort of, what's the line from Moby Dick that, um, you know, throw yourself onto the sword um, as Cato did. And I think that was something that was really important to Washington is this word honor. Um, What are some fun facts 
about presidents that we would never know? Because I got to believe at some point, I know your research is very serious, Alexis, but at some point you had to have a have kept a little list of presidential fun facts that nobody knew, right? Or knows? Oh, sure. I mean, I, w- oh, I wish I kept a list. <laughs> Life would be easier. But I just sort of remember things like a fever dream. You know, I'm stuck with them. <laughs> and one thing I, I, I will say Wait, that I a fever dream? <laughs> sort of. Like, I'll sort of remember something and I'll think, oh, my God, and I'll get, like, all mixed up in it. And thank goodness for newsletters. I have one called Study, Mary Kill. And that's usually where that sort of history goes. Okay. And so, for example, on um, – study Mary Kill and uh, because that's how I sort of feel about a lot of things. (laughs) And uh, one of the things that I talked about recently that I had just completely forgotten was Woodrow Wilson wrote thousands of love letters, thousands of them. And they were often pretty filthy. (laughs) He said, I'm going to assail you with my lovemaking. Really? What? And what's funny about that is, of course, that it exists and it, it complicates our, you know, and the reason I, I attach myself to these facts and the reason they sort of lodge themselves in my memory rather than some organized spreadsheet as they should is that it makes the person dynamic, right? So it's not like just trivia night stuff. Like this makes the person more than one dimensional. But what I absolutely loved was how horrified my readers were they did not want to think of Woodrow Wilson in this way um they they just you know and and either did by the way uh Teddy Roosevelt he had a great line where you know people were making a big deal out of uh, Wilson's affairs and his love letters and Roosevelt was like I'm not going to take this guy seriously he looks like an apothecary worker like he is not some sort of sex symbol let's move on and I guess he didn't he didn't really know the subtlety you know we can't expect Teddy Roosevelt to understand like a subtle attraction. So Woodrow Wilson was not married, or was he was? He was married twice. Married Buchanan twice. Buchanan was a man. And mm-hmm. who, to whom was he sending all of these um, uh, racy you love letters? That. I mean, first wife, second wife, mistresses. <laughs> he he was an equal opportunity, uh, you know, love letter writer. Was he not an engineer by training? He was. He was an engineer, of course, and uh, we, uh, the president of Princeton, and I think that's where much of the attention he's gotten over the last, I don't know, decade or so has has come from. It's not from his uh, racy love letters. It's from um, his racist views, and uh, he also, uh, there had been certain... There had been progress in government as far as hiring black employees, and he he definitely undid quite a bit of that um, and was, you know, in general, we can say racist. And he, as a result, um, his legacy at Princeton has been constantly challenged. Dirty old Woodrow Wilson. Let me take a break. Somebody texted in and wants to know about uh, George Washington's sin on two-party systems, and that is very interesting, Uh, and I know you'll explain that some more when we come back. A fun hour with Alexis Coe, presidential historian, New York Times bestselling author of You Never Forget Your First, now out in paperback about George Washington. I presume you can get that at all of your uh, usual outlets. 504-260-1870 if you have any question about any president, and I will ask you, if you text that Oakland Heart Jeweler Talk text line, tell me, who do you think was the best president ever? Who was the worst president ever? 921 Tommy Tucker back in a flash here on WWL. 
927, Tim on top of it with Hail to the Chief as we talk to Alexis Coe, presidential historian, New York Times bestselling author. You never forget your first, now out in paperback. Rumor was that Derek Carr was all set to sign with the Jets, but there is some breaking news here on the Internet that his signing with the Saints is imminent. And we're all over it, and as soon as anything happens, we will let you know here on WWL. Alexis, somebody texted in before about George Washington and the two-party system. He was not a fan of that, was he? Oh, no. He's um, our only president to have entered the presidency and left the presidency without ever having declared a political party. And he went in um, with members of the other, you know, with with people who were clearly um, opposed to him as far as conceptions of, you know, central government and, and other workings. But he invited those people onto his cabinet and he invented the cabinet. By the second term, things were different. His cabinet was full of people who agreed with him, but he had still not declared a, a party. And his farewell address, which I did not anticipate really informing so much of my post-book work, um, has has really come to me just constantly as relevant. Um, and one of the things he warned against was that unscrupulous, unprincipled men who only care about power would try to usurp the reins of government. Some of that is a direct quote, I think, at this point. Um, but he foresaw a lot of the vying for power and a foreign influence. And he thought that the, that the main weakness, what would allow this in and would ultimately destroy the American experiment uh, would be political parties. That factionalism is, uh, is the rot. It's kind of amazing how accurate he was. Would you not agree? Oh, it's, it, and it's not like him. You know, as I mentioned before, when people think of great writers, the words that we carry with us, um, we think of Jefferson and Madison, but the farewell address was really strongly worded and unusually, you know, Washington is famous also for controlling his reactions and controlling um, really any sort of, he did not let you know what he was thinking, but um for once, he really went too far in, in a few of his drafts of the farewell address. And Alexander Hamilton wrote back to him and said, you know, sir, we need to keep in what will age well. And I'm not sure some of this will age well, because at that point, he was pretty bitter. Somebody um, texted in about William, uh, wait, William Henry Harrison yes. and um, a three-hour inaugural address that derailed his presidency before it ever really started. Thoughts? Oh, dear. So William Henry Harrison, first of all, forgotten forgotten presidential dynasty. I've been in all these um, documentaries on CNN where we talk about the Bushes and, you know, the Kennedys and, and different people who have had various family members. We have Benjamin Harrison and then we have William Henry Harrison. Those are his grandson, grand, grandfather, and we do not great and we do not talk about them at all. Hardly ever. Like you're like, William H- Henry Harrison, does that ring a bell? The, William Henry Harrison uh, ran and was successful. He was elected. Um, and I'm not so sure. Everyone points this inaugural address. By the way, Washington gave the shortest. But everyone points this inaugural address in which he went on and on and on, and it was raining and he wasn't wearing a jacket. But many scholars have pointed to the fact that he liked to do his own grocery shopping. And when he did his own grocery shopping, he, you know, shook everyone's hands. And we've learned a thing or two about the way germs 
spread that they didn't know and even we didn't know in the last few years. So it was all a disaster. He was dead within 30 days. <laughs> did you laugh? I did. I chuckled a little. Yeah, a little bit. It was a long time ago. Speaking of chuckling, um, somebody else wants to know if um, the uh, the president got stuck in the bathtub. Who was that and did it really happen? No. No, I wrote a whole op-ed about this. Thank you, sir, whoever, or ma'am, whoever, whoever asked this question. This is near and dear to my heart. I, I think it's, it's that shaming. It's not shaming. It's a lot of things. Sure, President Taft liked the bath. He did. It was, I like a bath, you know. Anyone who has a toddler knows that baths have a lot to recommend them. But yeah, yeah but I, I see pictures of you. I don't think you'd get stuck in a tub, would you? <laughs> I, I definitely know. Yeah. I am I'm about five, 100 pounds. Yeah. Do not get stuck Soaking in wet, but, pardon the pun. Yes. And it, 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 but, but Taft was a big man. However, within the range of Trump, they're comparable. Um, he liked baths, and he did have, like, baths put in on different, you know, boats, you know, ships that he was going on. But there, but there was a story that circulated, and there are only secondary sources. There was one person who said, you know, he asked me to help him out of the bath once, which is like literally he thought he was going to slip, so he just said, can you help me? And the man was standing there anyway. It's not like he, like, called him in. And if he needed, if Taft had needed help, he, he really would have needed, like, five guys to lift him out. And then there's a woman whose mother worked in the White House, and she wrote a memoir, and she stated as fact. And everyone just kept repeating it and kept repeating it. And then there was a children's book that came out, I think, like five years ago that said, you know, Taft got stuck in the bath. And it was this really grotesque rendering of a man with all these roles, and it talks about it. And then at the very end of the book, very end of the book, there's like, you know, addendum that says he probably didn't get stuck <laughs> in the bath. But it's too late. Well, you never let the truth get in the way of a good story. You know that, Alexis. Come on. Kind um, of against my professional ether. Yeah. Tell me about President Kennedy. Somebody texted in, if he had lived, how, what is, how would his presidency likely have been viewed? Mm, okay. So here's the thing. I'm, I'm a little too deep into this, as, as they used to say in Miami Vice, to know which side is up. Mm -hmm. I am writing a book on Kennedy. So while I have, if you had asked me five years ago, you know, after I'd, I had written Kennedy things and been in documentaries, I probably could have given you a more concise answer. Here's what I think would have happened, which is he was someone who was overwhelmed by the presidency and figuring out who to have around him. But he was learning. And that's what makes that's what makes him really interesting to me, as well as Washington. Everyone says, oh, this presidency had an evolution. That presidency had an evolution. And I rarely see it. It's very like emperor's new clothes to me. Mm -hmm. But with those two, I do. And I think that Kennedy was learning fast on the job. And so I am somewhat. And we still, you know, his legacy lasted. The Peace Corps, lots of, uh, you know, <laughs> our, our space. We have a lot of things to remember him fondly for. And a lot of things that, of course, did not work out and didn't look like they were. I think he would have had, as most people, a decent, I think he would have been reelected. He would have had, you know, I mean, he was, but he would have had a second term and then he would have retired and probably bought the Washington Post or something like that. Alexis, there's never enough time. I know you come back and talk to us, though. Uh, when do you, do you think you'll be through with the book on Kennedy? Do you know? Oh, dear. We're looking at a couple of years. Okay. Well, you got time. You're young. Alexis Code, thank you, presidential historian. A pleasure, as always. New York Times bestselling author of You Never Forget Your First, now out in paperback. We'll talk to you again soon. It's 935. I'm Tommy Tucker. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. Deuce McAllister will join us to talk about the Saints and the imminent signing of Derek Carr, if it hasn't already happened. That's here on WWL right now. Let's look at traffic.